Guys, welcome back to Draft Vice. My name is Walter, and on today's episode, we got another guest, a guest from a, another fan base, right? We're importing them now. We don't have them just in studio. I, it's not just me and Harry or me and DJ Intense. No, today we got Ryan Sullivan. You could follow him at Sports Rock ROC, too, because one was taken, and, and not having a number is just kind of lame. Although I don't have a number, so. Uh, but this guy's great. Uh, he's also you could find his podcast Five Eight Five Report Podcast with the Buffalo Fanatics. Uh, he's on the Twitterverse. Go ahead and check him out. Follow, subscribe, listen to him. And uh, how's it going, Ryan? It's going great. Um, you know, it's it's we got nice weather here. It's the schedule's coming out. We had a great conversation before we come on. It, it's. I'm a teacher. We're getting close to the end of the school year here, so everything's uh, everything's looking up over here. How are you doing? I'm doing great, man. I'm I'm glad that you came on. Yeah, it was great. It was already we were already rolling. We got it. We hit it off before. Like we've never talked before, so we're introducing each other, and it's like, oh, this is kind of fun. It's like, wait a second, we have I haven't hit the record button yet. Hang on one second. We got to get going. Hang on. <laughs> and so yes, uh, Ryan uh, covers the Bills. The Bills, great team. I live in Jersey, man. So uh, there's plenty of Bills fans near me. I just don't always see them. <laughs> Uh, I know a lot of Jets fans, and I know plenty of Giants fans. I walk into them all the time. They're old, though. All the Giants fans are old. They're they're, they're like 82. So Bills fans, it's kind of nice because it's like it's not really the area for Bills fans. Like you guys are the upstate New York. You're really the only New York team. Yeah. Uh, that's why I don't I don't follow the Jets or the Giants because they play in Jersey, and I, I live in Jersey. I take offense to that. So I'd rather root for the Bills anyway. So welcome on, my friend. Um, it's we've passed the draft. We're now. You're right. Schedule releases. I know you said you guys got your schedule. I'm still waiting for the Browns to fully release theirs. They're all. They're like. It's like we're getting it from other places. Like the Packers release their schedule, so we find out like week ten we're playing one team, and we find out like Christmas we're playing the Packers and New England. New England's whole schedule just got released at like two o'clock in the afternoon. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Well, that's what it had happened in Buffalo. Buffalo, all we were getting game piecemeal here and there, and then all of a sudden, someone just dropped the entire schedule. <laughs> <laughs> so much for secrecy it was like uh somebody well because i know they released them to like some of the radio stations and like there's probably some intern there being like i don't care man i'm like i got this job for three more weeks and i moved <laughs> back to to wisconsin i have to go back to milking the cows and raising the chickens so but uh thanks again for coming on uh how'd you feel about the draft because like the draft is like uh you know with with the bills you guys had such a late pick this year uh last year as you, you guys didn't have a first round pick your first round pick was uh, stefan diggs and that was a good first-round pick. Yeah, I, I think it was uh, for a lot of fans. It was such a – I don't know what the word – I think it was just such a weird moment for Bills fans because picking at 30 and not really having a ton of holes um, and just the way being drafted was super interesting. You know, this is the team – if you talk to the fan base, I think the people place – they really want we wanted to get better was cornerback too, mm -hmm. but being is such our and I think a lot of GMs are like this that are is such a best player available guy that we went back to back edge rushers, which if you consider it's a premium position is wild, but it left a lot of people kind of upset, a lot of people frustrated because we're still rolling in with not a great cornerback to on the other side, but it, it it's. You got Levi Wallace hanging there. Got, yeah, got Levi Wallace hanging there, who is a roughly average cornerback too. But you know, the, a lot of you know, Rousseau was a project. I you know, I think Bastion might come in and be better as a high you know as a high floor guy just because of 
when he is, but it was just, it was a super interesting draft just from the draft strategy and, and how some of that board shook out, because I'll tell you, sitting there at 30, and I'm sure you felt the same way when you got, when Newsom fell to you, I did not, you know, when the board fell, I was praying that Newsom got past you guys. I knew and that wasn't he, happening. There was uh, if you if you know who Nathan Zagura is, he's like the most plugged in person with the Browns, and uh, if you he he kind of hinted that if if Newsom was there, they were taking Newsom. He was like, I think he was like top on their board. Like that was probably of all the realistic guys. I think J.C. Horn before he became unrealistic was the guy who they were maybe targeting, and then News and then like everybody realized J.C. Horn was actually pretty darn good. And then they went, well, he's not making a 26, so you guys got to find, like, the next best corner. And I think they really liked Newsom. So, uh, unfortunately, that, that's kind of well, how it went. But, but Rousseau, I, so I like aspects of Rousseau. I was not the highest Rousseau fan. I loved Basham. Basham was well, one of my favorite players to watch. I wasn't a big Rousseau fan either, like, to be honest. Like, I, I didn't I, – I had a hard time falling in love with a pass rusher in this draft because I thought it was – everyone – Every pass rusher was like, well, they're great, but and, but you look at his tape and it's like he got 15 sacks not really knowing what he was doing, Yeah, which I, which I think is kind of the impressive part. I Well, I think the cool thing with uh, – so what he has is that length. And I wa- actually watched Brandon Bean's interview, right, and he really focused on, listen, not everybody's going to win the same way. Uh, we might line him up at three tech a couple of times. We'll, you know, he'll play like you know base D end, and I, that was what I found very weird about Basham and Rousseau was they were very like, oh, you guys are very similar design. They're not the same guy. Like Basham's shorter and like has a four inches loss of reach, but still not bad. He's kind of he's just got that wide body, but then he's got yeah. the like not as long arms. But he was, but he's two eighty. Like literally, I yeah. was like. Basham is Rousseau in two years, kind of like yep. when I was watching them. And I'm like, oh, so if, ba- if if Rousseau just ends up becoming Basham, that's a kind of a cool thing. So I, I think there's a value in the double up, especially at positions of value. And there's still corners out there. You guys are connected with Steven Nelson, yeah, uh, formerly of the Steelers, who got cut because they were like, well, we want to play Mike Hilton on the outside. And he was like, hasn't that been your slot corner for a while? <laughs> well, listen, Steven, you're going to be competing with Mike Hilton. And then Steven was like, dude, I don't want to compete with Mike Hilton. I've been good for you guys so and they you know they were like listen you know what we want to sign juju back anyway we'll, we'll cut you it's like juju the guy who does tiktoks <laughs> the guy who made the browns good by accident by going ahead and like annoying them <laughs> you dick Be- became a t-shirt yeah like literally they made a billboard out of it there's literally a billboard that said the browns is the browns they're like all singing and dancing to that corvette corvette song he put that song on the map by accident but uh, we're here to talk about the Bills, and I think. I th- but the thing is, is I I do like Russo. I like that combo, right? And not only that, AJ Epinesa. You guys took him last year in the second round. Uh, it sounds like they think he's developing. They're kind of all similarly shaped to Mario Addison. Yeah, they're all being. I mean, you go back and they the, McDermott has a type of mm-hmm. defensive end that he wants. He wants someone a who can reduced down on pass rushes. He wants someone who's preferably like 6'5", 6'6", type of guy. No, Basham comes in a little bit under that. But if you're not, if you don't have versatility, and if you're not long arm, if you're not strong hand, McDermott probably doesn't want you. And, you know, and he also values rotation. Like none of the Bills defensive ends ever play, even Jerry Hughes, who's still producing at his age, Mm -hmm doesn't play more than 60% of the snaps. So when you consider the way that they play, so if they pan out, you're rotating in three guys 
who, if they're productive, that's a scary thing. And you can keep rotating in fresh defensive end, fresh defensive end, fresh defensive end. And Jerry Hughes is kind of the odd man out. I know he's kind of left over from, like, you know, previous regimes. He's been good for them. So it's not like – but you're right. Like, they like to rotate defensive linemen. That was something Bean – I love watching Bean's pressers, by the way. He – he. it was funny because this time around, the starter for each presser, his face got more and more sad looking. Like, he started out really happy. He's like, got Rousseau. And then he, like, he, he knew he drafted Basham. And he's like, I got to tell everybody we drafted Basham and Rousseau. And everybody's looking at us like, why didn't you draft a corner? And it's like – but guys, I got to draft, like, good players, and, like, Basham was, like, a top – like, and I think Basham really was very high on his list. Um, well, the story was that they wanted to trade out and that he was just at the board, and it was such a good value they couldn't ignore it. Yeah, I caught that one, too. And I was like, yeah, wait a second. That's that. I think that tells you something. And honestly, I think a lot of – I know PFF liked uh, Basham. I like Basham a lot. So I would have had Basham at least minimum top 50, maybe top you – know, I don't know if I would have had him as a fringe first-rounder, probably close to that, though. If you know, But, again, it depends on how different teams' boards are built. So you look at it, you go, well, this guy's perfect for what we do. The other thing is, is their pass rush over the years, even though Hughes has been great, they haven't been, like, the most um, – I guess, like, they're not usually considered, like, a top pass rush team. Like, Hughes has been great, but everybody else is kind of, like, okay. Yeah, well, that and it was a really weird year, and it's been uh, one of the things that's just been kind of circulating the conversations on Bill's Twitter and just Bill's dialogue is they were, when you look at pass rush win rate, they were a top five pass rush win rate team but a, a lot of that didn't translate into a lot of pressures and a lot of hurries mm-hmm. and a lot of knockdowns and sacks and stuff like that so i you know i think it, it's I, I think there's a really good discussion to have around you know how much do pressures matter how much does sack matter and i think pressures matter a lot and to, you know and but sacks also matter like yes getting pressed but the way the game's being played like you gotta they're throwing the ball so quickly like you gotta find ways to get home so if and you saw the way that the Chiefs got beat was be keeping Mahomes on the run. And that's the way Josh Allen got beat by the Chiefs was they would just had him on the run all freaking day. So it's if you can find production at a premium position like that, like that's that's the key. And you know, so many teams go back and forth. Do you coverage or pass rush, coverage or pass rush? The Bills are very clearly in the in the camp that pass rush is more important than coverage. Oh, I don't even know if it's necessary. I, I do agree with that's maybe part of it, but also it's just sometimes the value, like we're looking at that draft, right? And it's like corner outside of the top four guys. Who would be the next guy? Stokes, Asante Samuel. I don't think Stokes really fits their system. No. They want good zone corners. You know, Trey White, the best part about Trey White is he actually really play both man and zone. I, I think Asante Samuel Jr. would have been the next best corner on that, like for what they do. Because he can kind of do both, and he can really do well in that scheme. But was he worth a first-round pick when you look at the guys who they also had on the board? You look at where I would have maybe taken him there. But I also understand where, like, you know, he yeah. might, especially when you look at the athletic profile, they might be going, you know what, we'll take the shock on the pass rusher. Maybe we'll get somebody down the line. Because they probably also looked at day two and said, oh, there's a bunch of corners left. There's Paulson Adebo and Benjamin St. Just and uh, Ifetu Malifangu, who went really late. Like, not really, really late, but late day two. Well, third round, yeah. Yeah, so I I think a lot of people thought he might be higher than that. So when uh, they clearly have a specific build to what they want out of their corners, 
Um, safety is also, I think, maybe a higher value position for them than some other teams. There's some teams that look at safety like, oh, that's like a nothing thing sometimes. Like, that's like a, that's like the third or fourth most valuable position on their team. And I I, I don't know about the, the the Bills, like right away when Bean went there, didn't he sign two safeties he, right out? Well, the first, so the first, that very first offseason, Bean didn't come in until after the draft. So McDermott came in and Whaley was still the GM, and they, but they brought in Hyde and they brought in Poyer. But Poyer was a guy who you guys had originally and he had that wicked neck injury mm-hmm. as a brown that ended up him becoming a bill and he just kind of blossomed into a really good you know in the box covered safety that can do a lot of that's kind of a swiss army knife in mcdermott's defense and that's something i think that comes back for me when he was in carolina it was a lot of good safeties and a lot of good linebackers so i also just think that maybe they don't value corner itself super high but it's the other coverage elements for them. Like again, like, oh well, I think we'll get into maybe one of the the more debated topics that we were uh, one of the, one of the, I think the first conversation you and I had. We'll talk a little bit about those debates a little bit later. Maybe when people get further into the podcast, like oh, we don't want to talk about this no more. Uh, they're getting on the political side of the spectrum. I get what's going on here. We'll talk about that later. Uh, we'll touch back more on the defense in a bit. But how do you feel about Josh Allen coming along this year? You know, I, I think it it was a lot. It I think a lot of fans felt I don't know justified right but rectified in their support and because I think you look at his 2019 mm-hmm. tape and or his 2019 box score and it still wasn't great box score numbers not great completion percentage but if you watch this tape he was significantly better in 2019 at least after, especially after that first Patriots game that was like week four where he had like four interceptions and a half and then got a got a concussion and he was back the next week but got hurt and he was a significantly better quarterback and it didn't always show up in the box score, but he would, you could just see the way he was processing the game differently. And for him to come through and like, yeah, they added digs, but like, that's not, he had like just adding a wide receiver is not going to make you better. Like he significantly got better as a quarterback. And like, it's not very often, like go back, even if you're not a Bills fan, watch his 28, watch his rookie tape, and go back and watch. Like it's not very often you see the game be processed differently. Like you can watch him processing the game differently now mm-hmm. than what he was as a rookie. And you know it, it's just been super cool to see a team take a project like that and see it through, build the right way. Because I think so many teams are just a impatient or b don't do it the right way and. But it was it's just really cool to see him do it the right way. And you probably kind of feel the same way with Baker. Yeah, well, I think part of it is just having the right scheme and going after the right players and uh, with with the Bills, right? You guys went ahead. You guys got uh, Cole Beasley and John Brown, then yep. went ahead, traded for Stephon Diggs. And you got all these guys who got massive separation. Very good, you know, Beasley good in the short area. You had, uh, and in fact, that was one of the areas that uh, Allen did better in in 2019. Yep. And then then his deep ball got better when they got Diggs in the room. And they're like, we got Diggs and Brown, and Brown was kind of injured a little bit, I believe, this year, right? That was yep. one of his yep. problems. He's always, he's always kind of been injured for most yep. of his career. But he was good there last year, even like 2019. He was part yep. of the, the resurgence. Um, So they went ahead. They go ahead and get Diggs. Diggs being... A whole different level of receiver. Uh, his first, and again, Allen's first year. The real problem was the offensive line was not all that great either. That's the other thing. Yeah, they they yeah. had tore down some parts of it. They you know they had they traded away um Cordy Glenn. Dawkins looked good. 
And that was one of the guys that they, you know, and they even extended Dawkins, right? They extended him this. They extended him going into 2020. Yeah. Yeah. So they get Dawkins in the room, like, and then they go ahead and they say, "Well, we need other guys, right?" Dawkins a solid tackle, and they go ahead to get Mitch Mitch Morrison free agency, uh, formerly of the Kansas City Chiefs, and that was also part of that rebuild year 2019. They get mm-hmm. Cole Beasley. They get the John Brown. And then, and people, we saw development. I like that. And that's, I think, the sticking with him, and he got multiple years in the same system, same play caller. I think there's something to be said for that, that that time in a system and putting the right pieces around the guy. Dak Prescott might even be the other argument for that, right? The guy who came in, had a good offensive line, had some solid receivers around him, was a fourth-round pick and ended up playing really well. And, again, guys who maybe had some accuracy issues early on, I think the issue with Allen's accuracy issues, especially in college, were, you know, he was playing with a lot of nobodies. He's kind of running around. He's got to chuck the ball. Yes, he had some accuracy issues coming out, but and even, like, the short area accuracy was also issues he had some stuff with. But as we saw him develop, I thought that was great stuff that we got from him. Well, and I think part of it with him, too, was he he's gone. I think there's going to be parts of this game you almost don't want to coach out. There's going to be parts, like, you don't want to take out his entire – YOLO mentality, but I think part of what Dable had to do was be like, all right, you don't always have to chuck at 70 yards. You don't always have to run head first at the defensive end. You don't always <laughs> like you can you can take the check down. You can you can take the easy, you can take the dump off, you can take whatever. Like you don't always have to do that. I think that was the big thing. Like you can throw it away. It's fine. Like throw it away, live another down. That's fine. I think that was a big part in his game this year was just that he he understood the – and when he made a mistake a lot of times, he didn't compound the mistakes with more mistakes. Because I think the the game that kind of got that got lodged in everyone's head from 2019 was that Texans game, the Texans playoff game, where he was running around like a maniac trying to lateral the ball. And, like, so I, I think it – you know, and he's a guy – you talk about the draft process and all the measurables and all the things that you want and tape and everything. Like, drafting the right kind of guy – matters and like he's a guy that you listen like everything that's written about him you listen to him talk like he cares a lot mm-hmm. about like being good and he cares a lot about like he doesn't he doesn't give a lot of bulletin board material but you can tell like he listens to the stuff that's written, written about him and said about him and he cares a lot about like being a good quarterback and that kind of stuff matters and that's why these interviews and stuff matter that i think sometimes even myself i think i overlook the intangibles but that stuff matters especially at the quarterback position we, we just went through that with the whole draft. Everybody talking about the quarterbacks, right? And you and I and everybody else doesn't get to meet any of these guys, right? So it, I do agree with you. I think that's one of those things you and I can't really always get the gleam in on until, until it's way too late. And what's going on between the ears, like I look at what he went through his first year, right? Injury a little bit, a really bad offensive line. Um... Baker did the same thing. Baker had kind of a similar situation in year two where they had a head coach that maybe shouldn't have been a head coach. Uh, Offensive line took a step back. Guys who had injuries. Uh, So being able to fight through that, some of the stuff that we saw with, you know, like maybe Sam Darnold recuperates, but like we don't always see that with every quarterback. Guys who are, you know, we see the Jamarcus Russells of the world that just kind of totally fall out. I think that's the one thing that teams get the advantage of, and maybe that's why like we see guys who fall. I don't know which guys are that guy and which guys aren't that guy. So, But I, I agree. I kind of think the mentality that Josh Allen has, especially comparing him to maybe Mitch Trubisky, a guy who just joined the locker room, right? Yeah. 
his mental makeup, at least from what I've gotten from the media, and again, I think sometimes the media overblows things, the stories get a little bit out there, dealing with the the competition aspect. Like, I don't think Josh Allen heard Trubisky came in the room and went, oh, gosh darn, I got, I got Mitch Trubisky here. <laughs> God dang it, again? I don't think he's worried. I actually think Trubisky went there because, like, Dable's, when Dable gets his next head job, he's going to be like, yo, Trubisky, hop in the Miata with me. We're going cross-country. We're going to be going to pick the team that we're going to. And well, that's what, Bean, that's what Bean said. Bean was like, yeah, well, he's going to be gone after this year. Like, that's the entire point. And if he can go out and go with Dable and get us some comp picks, awesome. Yeah. That's that's the perfect combo, right? We got a comp pick for that guy. We got a comp pick for that guy. That's that's the new build. That's after you become a somewhat successful team. That's the thing you got to do, especially when you have a quarterback who's no longer on the rookie deal. Yeah. And I think that's going to be the next question for you guys, right? You guys have Josh Allen balled out this year, picked up the fifth year option, him and Tremaine Edmonds. So you know the question is going to be extending those guys. I think Allen's probably a lot closer to the to the the extension marker. I think some, especially you might want to get that done sooner rather than later. But I guess that might be the debate right now. Is is it going to be sooner? I guess like from fan base's perspective. I think it's a lot of people. I know I'm kind of in the minority on this. I won't be upset if they sign him now. Like I get it. I I think you you got if you can minimize that fifth year, it's probably a good thing to do. But also in the same breath for me. And I think there's not a lot of the people who, who think like that, but there's a few that even though I said all these things that he got better through years one and two, he still only has one year of elite quarterback play. And, you know, I don't know how similar that is to where you guys are with Baker right now, but you know, he has one year of elite quarterback play. Like I want to know, like, what is the mean Josh Allen? Like where is his average going to fall? Because mm-hmm. you don't, like, because he's not going to be second in the MVP race every year. He's not. Like, that's not the way football works. You have ebbs and flows. And I would love to have just another year of data points. And if he has another stellar year, pay him $45 million, give him 10 years, fine. Because we know it's a lot. If they sign him now, I get it. But I also wouldn't be opposed to let it at least get into the season and make sure we have enough data to correctly value his, his contract. I, I get that. I get both ends of it, right? Like, I get because I think there's a lot of recency bias with the Josh Allen, uh, not Josh Allen, uh, with Carson Wentz and Jared Goff and that, oh my God, like, look what happened with those guys, right? And I think the reverse end of that is, though, the Eagles got a first round pick, essentially, or close to it. They got a second rounder that can become a first rounder for Carson Wentz. Jared Goff was thrown into a deal, sure, but. At the end of the day, they got another quarterback out there, and that was really because they wanted Matt Stafford so badly. They were just willing to overpay for Matt Stafford partially. So I think at the end of the day, if you got the quarterback, you got a guy who's got a top 10 potential and maybe can be top five like Josh Allen, if he's a wreck down the road, you'll get something for him. That's kind of always been my opinion with Baker too. It's it's you got this guy who if he – what you saw – the, the value you can get from extending them sooner, right? Getting him at $35 million, right? Can you get him down right now and say at a $35 million APY, right? Maybe cut down a little bit on the guaranteed money. Be able to take something out of that sooner rather than later in the extension. Does that get you enough down the line? that say, Listen, like he, maybe he does crash and burn down the line. Gets too many injuries, runs into somebody, pulls a Cam Newton, just you know, constant, you know, arm injury. Andrew Luck. I don't think it's going to happen with Allen. You know, you might sit there. You know, there might he might never be, he might never be what we saw with Andrew Luck, right? We might saw we yeah. saw last year, and that might be peak Josh Allen. But 
I still think the it's probably eighty percent of what we saw of last yeah. year. As long as they have some guys around him who can catch the ball. Yep. Like even Aaron Rodgers needs somebody around him to catch the ball and needs people, you know, to protect him. Same thing with Pat Mahomes, same thing with everybody else who plays football. So as long as you know that that guy has that range of talent, two years down the line, you can get rid of these guys a lot of the time. Yeah, and and I think teams, you know, I think you said it well. Teams are getting out of this. There's really an interesting paradigm shift this year that teams are getting out of this sunk cost mentality mm-hmm. that they they said bleep it. The Rams said bleep it. We'll eat this historic this historic dead cap. To get him out of here because we want to keep our window propped up as long as we can. The Eagles said, bleep it. We're going to rebuild. We'll eat this historic dead cap to get Carson Wentz in and just start the heck over. So I I, I think, maybe, you know, that teams look at that now and say, hey, we're fine eating a dead cap for a year. And, the, and, like, the Bills did that too in 2018, not with a quarterback, but in 2018 when they had Josh Allen and behind that garbage line and no receivers – they had got, that was a year they had because 2017 they kind of won with a bunch of a, kind of a mix of a bunch of Sean McDermott guys and Rex guys and then they cleared house and had yeah. at that at that point was collectively an historic amount of dead cap and they ate it and then the next year they came in with all this money and they got hot they got Beasley and Feliciano and Brown and all these guys so I think teams are not aren't looking at dead cap in the same way that maybe we used to. Yeah, I think dead cap, what it ends up being is just a temporary thing. Like, look at the Saints. Saints are just like, dead cap? What the heck is dead cap? Yo, give us all the dead cap. We're going to walk it. Oh, yeah, we're going to extend that guy. We're going to extend that guy. We'll push this contract down the road. Like, that's going to be a thing. Listen, there's going to be more teams doing that. And now also, you know, like with the new TV deals that they're coming up, they're making buku money. That's going to go up even more. So the real the real value is going to be if you can get these guys locked up before the buku money comes in, if you can really pull that off. It, you know, some of them might be smart enough and say, well, you know what? I'll wait till the buku money comes in. Y'all are going to pay me anyway. And if not, I'm going to bet on myself in free agency and I'll pull Kirk Cousins, get paid $50 million a year. And then they'll be like, God dang it, how'd that happen? <laughs> so, I, again, I think I, I agree with you. I think there are some – you might want to look for data points more. I get that nervousness too. And I, I maybe I, I'm more sure on Baker than I am on – than a lot of people are. I just saw some of the throws by Baker and I went, he's, he's got top 10 talent and he's showed some things that had more to that. Same thing with Josh Allen. He show, and I was less sure on Josh Allen coming out. And I think a lot of people I was were. too. I was too. There was a lot of Bills. There was a lot of Bills fans, like a lot of Bills fans on Twitter that are like, I always believed in Josh Allen. Probably screamed wrong. I screamed wrong, Josh, when we drafted him. Like I admit it. <laughs> but it's funny. There was a group chat that one of my friends actually pulled out for me. It was funny because I was, I was in grad school at the time, and I, we were in a group chat, and I said, I, I go wrong, Josh, and then I was like, bleep it. Josh Allen, best quarterback ever. And I did the, I hit him with the Undertaker gift coming out of the coffin. But like, I, they, there was a lot of reason. Like, Josh Allen's a mathematical anomaly. Like, there's no reason Josh Allen should have, should have succeeded given the history of quarterbacks before him. And I agree. Cause like, if you think about it, before him, it was like Blake Bortles. And that was what I think a lot of people were worried is he was going to be Blake Bortles. Somehow, in the, the, the cornucopia of all the stuff that went on around him, they found a way to get him more accurate. They found a way to get him to work. And I think part of that is the in-between-the-ears thing, right? Like b- being willing to work it, 
being willing to change it up, get a new QB coach, work with this guy, get the right coach around him in Dayball, get the offensive line there, get guys who can separate. They've been adjusting. I, I just like what the Bills have done so far. Yes, yeah. and and I like, and I'll tell you, I like what I think the Browns now that they have a good head coach is the same thing. They they have got they have because it's just not about what I've learned, and I'm sure you've kind of feel the same way with the Browns. It's not about spending money and big name free agents. It's about filling holes efficiently as possible. And you guys kind of, I mean, you guys got white teller from us who you, you fleece from us for a fifth round pick, you know, you like, yeah, you had, yeah, you got Beckham, but I mean, Jarvis Landry isn't even a ton of money, but he's doing what you need him to do. You know, you, we'll get you into that up. politics debate. We're getting into the politics. The the real <laughs> politics of our teams, the Jarvis Landry and the Tremaine Edmonds debate. So yeah. that's that's because that's what really we bonded over. We had a nice little conversation on Twitter one day, folks, where everybody's like, "Oh, yeah," he's like, "Dude, like, what's worse talking about politics or Tremaine Edmonds?" And I'm like, "Browns have the same problem, but his name is Jarvis Landry, man." And it's such a weird thing. And what we came to the conclusion of was, listen, our teams are so good, you can't complain about the GM, you can't complain about the head coach, and you can't even complain about the quarterback. So now we got to complain about one player because he might not fit a scheme or he might not perform to the contract. So Yeah, well, and that's the thing. That, that's the whole thing with Tremaine Edmonds. It's, it's, I think he's objectively – now, there's people in the extremes on both sides of it, but you know, I, I think most fans will agree. He's, as he is, is a objectively – decent linebacker, average linebacker, top 15 middle linebacker, who's, who's got a ridiculously high ceiling. And I think it's, is he worth the, what people's got up in arm? Is he worth the 12 billion that it's going to pay him to the cost them to keep that fifth year, which I assume is probably a similar discussion with, with Jarvis Landry, I'm assuming. Yes. There's been a huge debate with Jarvis. Landry. <laughs> so our debate with Jarvis Landry basically is, is there's, I mean, there's been a couple of people who've been anti Jarvis for the whole time. Right. That like the, oh, you know, he's slow. He can't separate. And, you know, this year he came off the hip injury. He had uh, he has a 15 million dollar cap hit so this year and next year. It's almost not entire and none of it's guaranteed. So they can cut him right now. Wouldn't be any money. But, you know, you also look at it like how do you get rid of a guy on your team who like has been one of the more consistent pieces to your team, especially offensively, where, yes, they spend a lot of money on offense and. So there becomes a question of, you know, A, does he fit the scheme? When they when they signed him, they played a lot more 11 personnel. Stefanski comes in. He loves tight ends. He's like, ah, get me all the tight ends. Austin Hooper, Njoku, Harrison Bryant. We almost drafted Brevin Jordan in the fourth round. Ooh, everybody. All the tight ends. It's just like every tight end that ever existed, uh, they will look into because they're like, well, we're the Browns. We like all the tight ends. It's We have a tight end fetish. That's what Stefanski's thing is. He was a safety in college, but, man, does he like the tight end. Um, so uh, because they play a lot of tight ends, the, the position that Jarvis kind of is on the team, he's not one of the faster receivers, he's not a burner. So he kind of is a schematic not fit for 12 personnel because what you want are guys who are going to stretch the field, get the, get everything open for the tight ends and the running backs to be able to run after catch and be able to make plays in the middle of the field. Um, that could lead to maybe some changes in the scheme this year, maybe some adaptation, right? You know, uh, Dayball loves playing uh, with uh, 10 personnel more recently, yep. it sounds like. He's like, oh, we'll go run four wide receivers. Take that shit. <laughs> well, so that, and that, go ahead. What I was going to say, and the, and, the issue, and the issue is when you when you talk about those guys like Landry and cutting them, like, yeah, you save whatever whatever his, that, that the money is you're saving, but here's the other issue. You also don't have him. Like, yes, you save the money, 
But also now you don't have the players. So it's, and I, I guess maybe that's an obvious point, but I think people kind of overlook that. Like there's, is the value, is the value you're saving worth the production that you could be losing? And I think, I think the draft pick, one of the, I think my favorite draft picks of the whole draft was you guys going Anthony Schwartz. Cause I think that, that helps out Jarvis Landry tenfold just because of the type of player he is. Even if he doesn't catch anything, he's going to force the field to be to, to, to stretch. I like love the I love the Anthony Schwartz pick, and I might be one of the first. I was like one of the, the like I know there's three or four people on the Twitterverse. I wasn't the first one on him in Brown's Twitter, but I was like, oh, I like this guy, and I knew they liked him too. So when it came down to the third round, I'm like, they're taking him. So yes, I like the Anthony Schwartz pick. That guy's got speed for days. He's like, it's like light speed rescue with him. Um, now is there is there anyone in your because I'm not as, I'm not long plugged in the Brown's Twitter. Is there anyone because I know Bill's Twitter would be like this that's saying that this team is better without Odell Beckham. Because I feel like that's on... I know that... I feel like there'd be Bills fans saying that if they were in that position. Not that it's true. I'm just curious. You know, it's funny. It it feels like that's been... That was a thing before the season and, like, during the season. And then I think people realize... I I think specifically the guys on Twitter, because a lot of the Twitter guys for the Browns are people who watch film and the guys who cover the draft, and they're like... So they watch it, and they look back, and they go, oh, wow, Odell was just separating freely for the first six weeks, and Baker just didn't know the offense yet. So now we're kind of all excited for it. Now, if you go on Brown's Facebook, that's kind of a little bit more of like, you know, like like Facebook is in general, well, where it's, it's Boomer Book, where they're not watching the tape. Yeah. They're just like, Odell, like, it's get off my lawn territory. <laughs> get off my lawn, Odell. Stop proposing to the kicking net. <laughs> we don't care that you could separate from Marlon Humphrey and William Jackson, and those guys are highly paid corners. We don't care that you're the only guy on the team who can break man coverage. Like it's like that's kind of how it is. I love Odell. I want him back. I can't wait to see him. He, he was exciting with the, uh, especially if you watch the All Twenty Two. You go on NFL Game Pass and you go, "Oh my God, man! This could have been. This can be sexy, man. This if he gets back to like where he was separating with the, you know, if he gets back from the ACL and ACL is not as scary of an injury anymore. Although we've had some guys take longer than others to come back from it." I kind of like, you know, I think there could be something with the Odell thing. So I, I'm not of the, I, I, I think Twitter less so, Facebook, but Facebook tends to be the population of <laughs> opinions of the older. I mean, I feel like, I feel like also people forget that the Browns, pl- you guys played like three games in a monsoon. Yes. Yes. And so- like, <laughs> people forget oh, about that. Forget about that. Forget about Odell. There were people who wanted to get rid of Baker this year. Like, really? we, got to, we got to week six and they saw the Steelers game and people were like, oh, you know, like, uh, there were people who cover the team who now act like they were always Baker supporters who were talking about let's trade up and get like Trey Lance like halfway through the season. And then Baker all of a sudden after that Bengals game, like turned it on when Super Saiyan, like I figured out the offense. Thank you. I didn't even have an off season. Can you relax? <laughs> there was, I was like watching people go like bananas. I'm like, we had lost Wyatt Teller. Like it was the Steelers game was, I think what, what everyone broke a lot of people for a minute or two. And like, it was weird. We had two weeks. It was both the Ravens and the Steelers games. The first ones where, uh, it, we would play the Bengals the following game, and it was weird because the time between the the Bengals game and those first two games with the Steelers and the Ravens, I was like, I don't want to go on the internet anymore. I'm just done. I don't want to be around people. I want to be alone. Get to the Bengals game so we can look a little bit better. I get the Bengals suck, but just get to the Bengals. And I still went into those games so nervous. The second Bengals game, I was like week two. I'm like, oh my god. And then I watched them beat them like crazy. I'm like, oh, this is nice. This is we won. We won a game, everybody. It was so weird after we got blown out week one, which was, like, expected. Well, it's funny how much narratives change over a season like that because 
that was kind of the that was the you know the the narrative on the Bills early years. Their defense was bottom, and they were physically the for, for the first part of the year were were uh, bottom of the league defense. And it's just funny how how you know narratives change and people forget what you get. We're even talking about at the start of the year with some of this stuff. So it, it's funny that how much narratives change and like within a year how player people opinion can change and you know and also how some sometimes people with blue check marks take themselves a little too seriously and like try to try to hide some of those hide some of them like i have a lot of bad takes like i like if you follow me on twitter like i lean into my bad takes like i i bookmark my own i i own hot takes not me i've always been right sir i don't know what you're talking about (laughs) i I don't know what you're talking about if you follow draft buzz you know walter's always right about everything so (laughs) No, I know what you mean. Yeah, like we all have bad takes. Own it a little bit. You're right. Yes. I mean, like, I'm trying to think of my worst take. I can't probably because I've always had good takes. So I'm just going back to I've always had good takes. I, I've just always well, been I mean, it was before I had Twitter, but I was oh I was till he was out of the league, I was always in on Ryan Mallet. I thought Ryan Mallet was going to be an elite quarterback. Like I was so in on him. Like I there is, you know, I who else was I in on? That might be one of those guys who I really think it was a mental processing thing. It was like a locker room thing because he was kind of okay on the Texans. Yeah, but he just wasn't – from everything I've heard, he's just not a smart guy. And if you're listening to this right now, I'm sorry. That's just what (laughs) – I think he, like – I think he, like, slept through a meeting when he was with the Texans, though. Like, I think there was some stories like that. Like, I I heard he just wasn't the brightest guy. I think if you go and watch his Gruden quarterback camp, I think he was kind of aloof aloof in that yeah but didn't jared goff not know where the sun rose on a given day so like <laughs> that's true so i don't i don't know every quarterback's got like their flaws i, I granted maybe his was more work ethic but like i i, I kind of get where like because he did have a lot of the arm talent i remember well he had that year it was him, they were rotating between him and brian hoyer at certain points for the texans and that was for some reason they were better than uh Brock Osweiler. So, I mean, at least if I ever had the choice, I picked Mallet over Osweiler. It's not yeah, a big, it's not, I don't know who's well, debating this. Well, I was the same thing. I was, I thought, I see, I went through a phase. I think a lot of people went through a phase. There was like tall quarterback. Good. I was like, Brock Osweiler, 6'8. He's got to be amazing. <laughs> and he very much wasn't. <laughs> tall quarterback. Good. <laughs> I like that. That's, that's just going to be like, that's going like, to they do the scouting notebook. Call, talk, you be good. <laughs> that's the that was hard. And that was part of the reason why I was out on Josh in the during the draft process. I was like, oh well, now I went through. I was like, all good, all good, call tall quarterbacks will be good. And then there was a period of time where all tall quarterbacks. We had EJ Manuel who was terrible, and and then we had Tyrod who was kind of okay. And I was like, oh, we can do short quarterbacks. And then that was kind of that's why I was kind of I liked Rosen coming out, and I liked Baker coming out, and I liked Darnold coming out. But it shows you that it's not that. Uh, it, it, it's a bunch of traits that make any player, not just quarterback. Not, yeah, it's not just height. That's for damn sure. I actually <laughs> feel like the taller you, like when you get to six, 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 seven, it's really weird. The six, seven quarterbacks are the ones that seem to have a fall off. So it's like I think there's like maybe like if there's a a good medium zone. Uh, it's like the the porridge from the the three little yeah. bears, three little three little pit, one of those the nursery rhyme stories. Those things. We didn't come here for nursery rhymes, folks. I understand <laughs> that. <laughs> um, so I, I I like where. By the way, I love I love McDermott. Like he's he's actually I really like him as a head coach. I think he's one of the cooler guys that were like ever became a head coach. I was when I found out the Browns were like they chose Hugh Jackson over him. I went, oh really? 
Well, that's, that set us off on a nice little 0-16 season. Well, the story there was, wasn't it the story that your whole, like, the whole, uh, your whole analytics department wanted him, or your whole, like, a lot of... offense, deep Podesta, the guy, everybody, we were like... <laughs> Yo, we want McDermott. Mm -hmm. And then, like, the owner was like, well, we're getting Hugh Jackson. It's like, but we wanted McDermott. It's like, well, we got McDermott at home. It's like, but not that meme. That hasn't even come out yet. <laughs> but I'll tell you, I really liked to – I'll, I'll – I'll, so here's an example of me being wrong. I really – I wanted Hugh Jackson to be a Bills coach. I thought – I I was of the mindset. I was like, wow, Hugh Jackson went 8-8 eight and eight with with the Jason Campbell Raiders or whoever it was that he went with 8-8 eight and eight with. Yeah, I was like, Pryor he must was be, there too. Terrell oh, Pryor, Pryor was at some point yeah. there. Yeah. When he went eight and eight with the Raiders, he must be a great coach once he goes to a, a team that's not problematic. And he, to you know, clearly it didn't it didn't work out. But it shows you how how once again people sometimes you, sometimes you never know with these coaches. And well, you know, that, that's one of those things where I think it's like another one of those things that we're not privy to. Like everybody was talking about, like the head coaches that got jobs this year. I think it's one of those things that you're, we're just not privy to. We don't know enough. It's not we're not getting to interview them. So we're not hearing like what's your plan, Hugh? And then Hugh also I think he was one of the best offensive coordinators for a while. But yep. it's not all about being an OC. And he was just kind of like he he was very much abdicate authority, abdicate like I didn't do anything wrong, the players didn't do it right. I got to get back to the tape, dude. It's Wednesday. We're playing the Steelers tomorrow. <laughs> well, that's how. And that that year, you guys were on hot, hard knocks. Wasn't really the kindest to him on. Like he didn't paint himself in the best light all the time when he was on hard knocks. Well, that was. I felt bad for him that season too because he's at that point they basically cut his balls off. Like they said, you know what, Todd Haley's your offensive coordinator. It's like I didn't ask for Todd Haley. We're getting Todd Haley. <laughs> at this point, they went the other way around. Jimmy Haslam and John Dorsey were like. Hugh, like you got to take, you got to be that CEO, the like that that mentality. We're gonna have Todd Haley, and Todd Haley was basically trying to screw him, like not for nothing. I thought both were not good people, that to be in that room. I think they should have just, they should have just fired him before that if they were gonna do that to him. But that's what they did. They went ahead and forced Haley on him. That's what led to a really awkward start of the season. So again, it's one of those things. I think. Teams are learning how to evaluate people. That's why I thought Salah was going to be a great head coach because I thought, like, first off, that he was like one of the finalists for the Browns, and Deep Podesta has been calling it pretty well so far. So when he went to the the Jets, I went, "Oh, this is going to be a good." Sorry about that. I'm sorry about saying Salah's going to be a good head coach. No, Don't, I think you he guys is got too. a great I... one, and you already have the head start. Don't worry about it. Well, we I like all the head coaches in their division. I I. I well not besides but I mean Bill Tech's really good. There's four three really good coaches and like I hate that I enjoy Brian Flores. Like Brian Flores seems like a guy who legitimately has command of a locker room and knows what he's doing and he's competent. And Rob, you know, Salah hasn't coached a game yet, but he seems like a guy who's competent. And you know, it's it's and it's weird kind of having that adult in the room now. And like it just seems like, and you can see it in the players. And I I, I wonder if you've seen the same things with the rounds because you see just the way, like you can't always get a ton out of post-game locker room comments or post-practice locker room comments, but you pick up on stuff sometimes. And I think players legitimately feel heard and like want, and that's the kind of stuff that matters. And you hear, and like, I remember when Rex Ryan was the coach here and you can go back and look at some of those comments and like, Oh, they seem dejected. They seem annoyed. They seem like, no, like players like objectively like enjoy playing for McDermott and like I don't think that's the case even on good teams I don't think team guys always like playing for a coach sometimes it just happens to be the coach but I think 
guys legitimately like playing for McDermott. And I, you know, it seems like you guys kind of have the same thing with Stefanski. I almost called him Stefanik. Stefanski, right? <laughs> Stefanski, yes. No, it's Stefanski. true. I, I think that's really a thing. And I, it's, I think you're right. You can clearly see just how. Uh, Rex Ryan handled some things. Uh, was he signed Ike and Empanali after he got waved by the Jets after punching Geno Smith in the face? And they made him a captain against the Jets. Yeah, like you're. Tr- I get you're like kind of playing it up and trolling, but that was one of my bigger problems with Rex is he didn't know when he had to be the adult. And it's when they can't look up to you and be like, "Hey, you got to do your job. You got to be correct." Like it's fun to have jokes and things like that, but like Stefanski's jokes are like dad jokes. Like he's like. Uh, he did like the soup Nazi joke to to Joe Woods the other day because they they finally drafted an offensive player like in the third round. He's like, "No soup for you, Joe. Like we got you enough defensive players. Relax, my player. Go home, Joe. Joe stop. Like things like that. Like being quaint, kind of more like. But whereas like with, with uh, Freddie Kitchens was wearing a shirt out that was like the Steelers started it, Browns finished it or something. Like the week, like two weeks after the the whole thing with Miles Garrett, and I'm like. Dude, you gotta have so, people are gonna recognize you. You're in Cleveland. You're like, especially in Cleveland. Like, if you were in New York and you did that, like, I'm pretty sure most of the head, co- most people would not recognize Robert Sala. He'd look like one of the other 39 people that look like Robert Sala <laughs> in New York City. Like, he could probably get away with doing that. I don't think Sala would. Same thing with McDermott. Again, another guy who, if he went to New York City or Boston, 39,000 people who look just like him, just like, oh, Bill Burr's here this week. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's absolutely true. And you know it. There's and this what there's a really funny clip and if you go back and you if you guys haven't seen it there's a clip in the they did one of the Showtime turning points on the Bills Chargers game this year mm-hmm. and Josh Allen got a flag because he he, he ran it in for a touchdown past uh, I think it was Mike Willett no, um one of the Chargers cornerbacks and literally like looked him in the eyes and spun it at his feet and they flagged him for uh, unsportsmanlike conduct. Mm-hmm. And so the and the clip cuts to him, the clip cuts to McDermott talking to the referee like, "Hey, what do he do?" And he goes, "He spun the ball at him." So McDermott goes over to to Josh Allen on the bench and he goes, "Listen, I'm just coming over to tell you, if you do that again, you got one, you're gonna get ejected." And as he's walking away, he's like, "But I like the swagger, damn it!" And that was <laughs> it. <laughs> and that was it. And it's like cool stuff like that. And there was other, you know, I I love watching those things because sometimes you get a really cool insight into. Who, who they are as, as coaches. Oh, yeah. The mic'd ups are always the best part, I feel like. There's always some guy that's mic'd, especially if it's a good player that's mic'd up. Like, you're talking about Wyatt Teller before. Man, he was one of my favorite people to hear on a microphone. The Steelers playoff game when the Browns beat them, and, like, there was, like, five interceptions, a fumble, and, like, Wyatt Teller's just walking around. I want them to extend Wyatt Teller so badly, and they probably won't do it, and I'm going to be so sad that week when I find out he's going to free agency. But, man, he is fun on the microphone. I'm like, dear God, can't we keep this guy, please? Andrew Barry, just do me one favor. You can sign anybody you want. Keep Jarvis. Do that guy. Get rid of Miles. Keep Teller, please. Because he's just – Dude, he's just got this such cool bravado, and I'm like, wow, that's kind of cool. He's like, the Browns is the Browns, really? It's like just so, <laughs> so intense, dude. I didn't know he was intense. I didn't know he was that like kind of cool, intense guy. But it it was kind of fun. So I love watching that stuff too. I love like the insights and stuff like that. Uh, and that's why I watch all the, the every GM's presser for this because like I get more insight. I learned a lot last year from watching Brandon Bean's presser um, because I think he was talking about how they were using. Uh, some app so they could go ahead and get like UDFAs like signed quicker. 
Like it was something. Well, I didn't even catch that. That's cool. I yeah, didn't even catch they were that. doing some kind of cool thing where they designed an app. I, I think it was Brandon Bean. I think it was. It was Brandon Bean's presser, and they were using an app so that that way because they were all over the place. So they were like, "Here, we're in. Like, I can green light when like what your offer is on this guy for this UDFA." And like that's why I love watching those things because you find out like those little nuggets or how a team has like a a certain team building mentality for a particular player. And again, like that's why like I, I get why the, they did some of the things they did this year because like they even said they had a guy that they you know that was in camp that got injured. I think was uh, they have a cornerback. I got I'll pull oh, him up. Um, well, we had we have Dane Jackson who was practice squad last year mm-hmm. who who played a little bit. We had Cam Lewis who was a slot corner who actually came in for Taron Johnson. Because Taron Johnson started off the game the season not well, came in for the Kansas City game, got hurt. The first Kansas City game got hurt, and then Taron Johnson went on a tear after that. But you know it, you know it, they trust, and I think they hit a point in their team building now where there really is. This is kind of a finished. This is kind of a finished unit. Like the, mm-hmm. there's not much more, and I, the Browns are probably heading to that point too. Where there's not much more you can really add to this team. So the way. You know, get, getting back to that time, you know, culture, how you how you team build. You know, the one thing the Bills really did the last couple of years was paying their guys. And the Browns are going to get to that point now with, like you said, Wyatt Teller and, you know, um, Nick have you guys Chubb. paid Miles? Nick Chubb, have you guys paid Miles Garrett yet? Yeah, we paid him. They were like, yo, wait a second. He's coming up. We, we, we can sign him. Let's extend him now. He's going to get really expensive <laughs> yeah. in like two weeks. Go. Yeah. Coming so, up with suspension, he's never going to be cheaper, <laughs> folks. And like that, but like that's not like signing your guys. Like I forgot who I was listening to. It was a former Louis Louis Riddick. I was listening to Louis, Louis Riddick on a podcast not too long ago. And like paying your own guys matter. Like when you when you draft someone or you get someone on the cheap and they ball out for you and you pay them that the correct way. You don't make them go through contract BS and whatnot. Like mm-hmm. players see that and that matters and that helps your team. So when the Bills this year when they re-signed Darrell Williams, who they was a reclamation project. Then they re-signed Feliciano, who was a reclamation project, and then they re-signed Matt Milano, who was a draftee, and they got Trey White done before you know early. They got Deion Dawkins done early, so that stuff, that stuff matters. Like players notice who you pay, when you pay them, and stuff like that. And that you know that's part of the reason that good teams get good and bad teams stay bad. And you know I, I think about all those drought years where we just let good players walk all the time and they leave saying all these kind of nasty things about the team and the GM. And, you know, I call the, the intangibles matter. I think more than people that, like I said, I'm someone who sometimes, voc- you know, overlooks intangibles for data points and stuff like that. But I think that stuff matters so, so much, especially when you have a game as unique as football with so many different moving parts and, and stuff like that. No, I agree. I, I think again, we're, I'm seeing it right now with Stefanski and Andrew Barry. Um, you know, you're seeing it with McDermott, and we're even seeing it with some of the newer coaches, people coming in. Um, you know, with Flores and Sala. Um, and it does matter. I, you know, again, the, the, uh, the Trey White, his development. They I, uh, didn't they just extend? Uh, um, one of the safeties, uh, it might have been uh, Micah Hyde. Oh, yeah, Micah Hyde. They extended Micah Hyde. Yeah, they extended Micah Hyde. They part of their turnaround. That was like one of the two sa- first two guys uh, McDermott got signed when he walked in the doors. I want two safeties. Everybody else can kind of hang on there. We're getting two safeties. And they were a big part of why they even made it to the playoffs that year. So it was kind of cool to see that turnaround. Now, I think some some early on, I think there was some debate about the whole Tyrod Taylor thing. Should we keep him? 
let him go. There was a, you know, they benched him. They put in Nate Peterman. That didn't look good for everybody. And they were like, well, to be fair, like we're trying to get higher draft picks. So it's like, I don't know, man. I, I got what kind of what they were doing there. He, well, dude, that's twenty seventeen for a long time now. He's now, I think now he's like the, and I don't think he could really go up much further after just because of who's in front of him. But he's like the eighth most tenured head coach now, which is wild. It's like this will be his fifth. This will be his fifth year. But just because of all the turnover, I think he's either going to be 8th or 12th longest tenured coach. He was in the same class as like Shanahan and those guys. Not for long, man. It's the not for long league. But if you, but that's the benefit of having him for that long, right, is you now have guys who've been a part of the system, learn, develop, and they, they buy in. And yeah. I love his wrestling background. I remember hearing his interviews about that and like that kind of how that, that's kind of played into a little bit of like his coaching mentality. Um, I don't know if you caught this one, right? So they, I know – one of the cooler things that I learned about team building from watching the presser um, from Brandon Bean was about the UDFAs. And that they felt like they actually they wanted more picks later on in like the sixth and yep. fifth round because they didn't know they were going to get like some of those guys. Because like, listen, they're a good team. Well, UDFAs aren't going to go to a good team because they're not making the team. Well, th there was that and there was a people who didn't know. There, there was talk his players could go back this year to college yeah. later that there was a a lighter market for udfas mm -hmm. and i was someone who wanted more draft picks anyways because people say well eight guys seven guys won't make the team eight guys won't make the team but you get more swings you get more bites of the apple you're gonna have better chances of hitting on a draft pick even if it's a seven a fifth sixth seventh rounder or stuff like that so I, I, I was, I, I love that. I thought that was, you know, and you don't have to worry about, you know, competing with other teams for players. So I, I, I was told I, I like that a lot. I, I agree. I, and I actually think I, I, that's something that I've been dealing with a lot as a Browns fan, because I've been hearing people sit there and say those kind of things recently where, oh, we won't, eight guys won't make the team. Well, it doesn't matter if eight guys won't make the team. You now have competition in camp. You now but have camp body. You have a ninety-man roster all the way up until you know, you know, all the way through training camp. So, guys get injured. That was one of the things that Bean brought up. It's like, look, guys are going to get injured. We don't know who's going to be there at the end of August. So, I thought again, I loved his presser. I love watching these guys talk. You know, especially these two, McDermott and Bean, are two of the more um, fruitful GM head coaching combos as far as getting to listen to them talk. Like. I, I love Andrew Barry, and I do get some things from, like, I do love those guys as head coach and GM. You're not getting anything from them. It's Fort Knox. Andrew Barry ain't telling you anything. You'll be like, yo, is Baker getting extensions? Like, you know we're not talking about that. It's, it's Bike Club here, folks. We don't talk about other people's contracts no more. This ain't this ain't Hugh Jackson and John Dorsey. It's like, that guy is going to get an extension. Although, uh, although Haslam doesn't obey the rules. Haslam will give you insights. Because he's the owner, and he can do whatever the hell he fucking wants. He's, listen... Yes, of course, Baker's getting extension. What do you think? I'm like, Haslam, shut up. It's like, Andrew, I signed your contracts. <laughs> you know what? You're right. Never mind. I'm not, I'm not, telling, uh, I'm not telling the boss man to shut up. That's a good idea. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Check you later, Jimmy. So. so that's the nice thing about this Bills team is that nothing ever really leaks out of this team in terms, you know, everything, it seems like whatever comes out is very, is very measured. Like when, when Trey Wright got re-signed, like it was out for like an hour that he was um, – that they were close to an extension and like an hour later they had an extension. So that stuff worked out, but I'll tell you, I think 
I think you guys got the steal of the UDAFA market when you got Marvin Wilson. Because I, I had people who wanted who I knew people who had like fourth round, fifth round grades on him. I liked him a lot. Anything what it was is coming off the injury. Yeah. If you watch some of his tape, he was coming off. You know, they they played a new scheme this year. The only person who played well at Florida State this year was Asante Samuel Jr. Let's be real. Listen, he's good, folks. He also has a dad who's played corner in the NFL, so he gets to learn from him. He don't need better coaching from the Florida State staff who's not good at coaching. So Marvin Wilson comes in. He's playing a new scheme. He's had a little bit of a knee problem going on. I heard a little bit of rumor about uh, maybe he's got two knee problems, and that might be the thing that might have also pushed him a little bit further down. I know teams were – this was maybe the biggest year for, like, medical issues, like red flagging things. So there were a lot of guys who just constantly fell down and – it, you know, there were some surprise steals at the end of the day. And, and, and then the Trey Smith, guy who, like, athletic, but, again, like, major medical red flags as far as – but, again, Chiefs got him as a guard. Yeah. Um, yeah. We we, have, we barely got through the, the rest of the draft class, so uh, I just wanted to quickly touch on some of the other guys. I know – you know, because I wanted to touch on a, a couple of those guys, but then, if you know, we'll wrap up those yeah. names yeah. and then – Go just because again, like uh, I think that you know, pretty easily to talk about because it wasn't a ton of picks. You know, they took Spencer Brown and Tommy Doyle, two tackles, um, two very tall, like clear tackles, almost. massive like, tackles, massive tackles. I love. Um, there was someone who works at Buffalo Nanics named Casey Reed, uh, Cash Out BF on Twitter, who who was on him for a while, and he's a guy like you talk about scouting small school prospects. You want to see him dominate. You want Spencer Brown, and man, he dominates. And he's a guy who's probably not quite ready, but the the two Darrell Williams you can get out of his contract in a year, either via trade or being cut. And like Spencer Brown looks like someone who you put on a little bit more weight, you get a little more technically sound. Like I, I think that's great. And Tommy Brown is a great backup to have behind him once we move on from from Darrell Williams. And once again, premium positions. They were best players available at premium positions. So you can't really be upset with that because you you know, if a tackle goes down like we were one we were one snap away from being in a really bad position at tackle, which you don't want. Which you we talked about with offensive line play. You don't want that. No, you want you want high end backups. And again, getting uh Spencer Brown, uh third round uh, dude, and he was like a ninety nine percentile like athlete. So uh I, I think it was a very good pickup by then. Did I lose? Oh, oh. I oh, think I got you. I got you. Okay, good. I was I was losing you for a second. I'm like, oh no, the the internet's gone now. No. <laughs> okay, it wasn't the internet. Good. Um, no, because again, Spencer Brown, very athletic tackle. Um, kind of like Colton Miller. Think about like him. Like he went in the first round a couple years ago. I don't think he's that much lesser of a prospect than say Colton Miller was. I thought Spencer Brown was going to go a lot higher than this. So again, I think both the tackles that they got, they're addressing positions of need. Um. Any of the day three guys that really sparked your fancy? I know Marquis Stevenson, they mentioned him possibly as a returner. I like Stevenson a lot, mainly because there's, there's a, I got, so we have Isaiah McKenzie, who we brought back, who is competing for the returner spot. And I got dunked on by him earlier in the offseason. <laughs> and if you dig through my Twitter, you'll probably find it. Because I, I made a comment that we shouldn't resign Isaiah McKenzie because you can find similar. Because he was a gadget guy who was efficient, but a gadget guy. So then you could find similar production in a day three pick. And Marcus Stevenson was one of the guys I named, but it got people upset because I say McKenzie's a very likable guy. And someone snitch tagged him. And, oh. and he got in my mentions and blew me up. And um, and then he got signed the next day for like a million and a half dollars. 
Like you can't make you you can't make it up. Um, but I like him a lot just because like speed, something this offense, uh, uh, pure speed guy. That's something this offense doesn't have. And um, Wild Goose was interesting because the Bills normally don't have speed at cornerback, and I think he's someone who hasn't played a lot of, didn't play a ton in college, and maybe has some upside. And uh, Hamlin, Hamlin's gonna got the guy who's gonna step in and make the roster and be that third safety right away. Which I think anytime you can find someone like that in that round is is huge. And then Jake Anderson, if he can, once again, all offensive line is important. If, if he can be a depth piece there at guard. Awesome. I think they hit, you know, it wasn't quite the draft. We want. I know you asked for one. I gave you all of them. But. No, I, I was trying to give you the, the softball pitch and you hit it right out of the park. Thank you for that. I, Cause I don't know. I don't know how deep somebody wants to go into everybody. Like, like this guy's barely going to make the roster. Why would I talk about it? And then you're just knocking it out of the park. Like home run on this, Walter. You set me up quick. I said, you said one, we're going all suck it. And I'm like, you know what? Fine. Yes, sir. You can, you, you get your win there. You get it. you you did a really good job. Cause well, again, like, I don't know if everybody knows all those names. And again, Stevenson, I really liked, uh, you know, kind of, I think different kind of slot guy than like, if they are going to run him out of the slot different than Cole Beasley, he's more of yep. the, um, we're talking earlier about Austin Schwartz, kind of the guy who's going to be the deep ball kind of guy. Yep. Yep. Well, that's me. And I'll tell you as we wrap up, I think, I talked about you guys have the probably the UDFA sign, and I think you guys getting Joe JOK at fifty or whatever. What pick did you get him at? We traded him at fifty-two. We we did a pick swap from the third to the fourth round with the Carolina Panthers. It worked out. I I, I, under, I understand why he fell because I think sometimes coaches have a hard time being imaginative with a player like that, and like, but I think getting a tweener at fifty-two like that is a lot different than getting a tweener at at 24 or wherever you would have been picking. So I thought that was a steal. Like I think out of all the picks that may end up being the steal of the draft DK Metcalf as steal, just because people were like, we don't know how we're going to use him, but he's not the free DK to Metcalf thing, man. That was one of the weirdest like steals ever. <laughs> like I was, I'm like, that is still one I question to this day. What? Like it was clearly the medicals. Like that was clearly one of those things. I know people made a big deal about the three cone with DK Metcalf, but when a guy is like, Six three and runs a it runs a like a four three forty and is built like literally like like a, a stick of like a wall like literally you I and also like I I love watching clips of him playing against press man coverage because he just knocks him away it's like <laughs> bitch please I'm going this way and then he just goes at six three he goes at four three and it's like this isn't fair you they're not supposed to make you that's like just, that's like Julio Jones you're supposed to go in the first round. Who and he just Seahawks that, get this guy? And he just ran that 10-3-100 on the track. Yeah. Oh, I'm just gonna like I'm gonna just go ahead and do, like, do some like you know track athlete stuff like just like on the fly. I'm gonna go do this. I'll see you guys later, dude. What the heck? Who <laughs> developed this kid in like what kind of chamber? And and then his dad was like a, an NFL player. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, he his dad was he cloned. He was cloned, folks. He was cloned from his dad. And they took all the bad stuff out and they like just souped him up. They put like Super Saiyan DNA in him, like so maybe like Superman even. Like just like we're gonna make him even better. And that was it. Like I I, I know I'm alleging right now that he's a clone <laughs> at this point. DK, yo, I'm gonna like somebody eventually if they watch an hour of this episode, they're gonna be like, yo, at the end of his episode, he said DK Metcalf's a clone. <laughs> I didn't know this was like one of those kind of podcasts with aliens <laughs> controlling the universe too, Walter. Dude, I appreciate it. I, I don't know if there's any any other thoughts you have. I know you guys had like a good free agency as well. I know uh, you guys kind of lost uh, John Brown. And he went over to the Raiders. Now you got uh, mm -hmm. Sanders. Overall, yeah. I think your team's in a good spot. 
Like it's yeah, got to be like top five, top ten team this year. Yeah, they brought back twenty one of twenty two players. I think the question is, did they do enough to get better? Mm-hmm. And I think it ultimately the the, the success of this team is going to come down to do the people the their drafted players take a step up. Like if Ed Oliver can take a step up, like his draft, you know, eighty percent of what his draft status was, that's massive. If if um, Dawson Knox can take a step up to what his freakish athletic potential is. That's massive. If Tremaine Edmonds can can get closer to his ceiling, that's massive. So the Bills are banking on it. It's going to come down to do the players on this team develop. Can, you know, we have a Cordy Ford again, second round two years ago. Can he develop? Can he be as you know? So that it's going to come down to developing the talent that we have because all we really did was at the end of the day was add Emmanuel Sanders. Yeah, like well, my actually my biggest question with the Bills is the interior of the offensive line that yeah. didn't really spend resources on. Like yeah. I was gonna sit there and like, can you nitpick? I wasn't even as worried about corner because they even seemed to, like I said before, into the Nelson market. Might that news might come in all of a sudden at the end of this episode? All of a sudden, bam! Like Nelson did sign with the Bills. Like it's one of those like flashback episode things at the end of the movie. <laughs> well, at I was the end re- of the day, he did sign. That's why I really wanted like an interior lineman in this draft. That was the one thing that I, I was really pushing for. But like it, I, I think it sometimes informs you of what they think, and they probably think Cody Ford, who spent a year at tackle wasn't good at tackle but wasn't that really wasn't no one really built him as a tackle coming out of college mm-hmm. and then he played a, a quarter of the year at guard this year before getting injured you know i i think maybe i think maybe with a year at guard with a year at his right position healthy you know that could be you know i'm not super high on feliciano but you know it He's not, you can get by, like if there's any position you can really kind of get by on, it's, you can get by if you have okay guards. So if, if Cody Ford takes a step up, I think that probably solves a lot of the issues that this line had. Yeah, and they could still find, like again, that's one of those positions you can stumble upon or you can even yep. trade for later on. Um, you know, especially if Ford takes a step forward, I think you're right. They have something there then, They're, they'll be set pretty well. Because uh, even if you have one guard spot, that's not great. It's not too big of an issue. You can cover up one not great thing as long as the other things are working really well. But I was still shocked about that whole offensive line thing. I still, you know what they'll end up doing? We can't run the ball. We'll throw it a hundred times in the first half anyway, like we did yep. against the Ravens. <laughs> like that was the amazing. It's like the only run they had was Josh Allen running the ball. It was just like like. We're not going to run it. Why would we run it? We have, like, Devin Singletary. I'm like, dude, Devin Singletary's not a bad running back, but we can't run block. It's like, oh. Yep. Well, and the the funniest part of the season was when we played the Seahawks. I don't know if you ever saw this clip, but we went – we opened the Seahawks – against the Seahawks passing, like, 24 straight times. And Pete Carroll's comments after the game was, we were preparing for them to run the ball. (laughs) So there you go. That there's your answer, right? We don't need to run the ball, sir. We've got people who can catch it, and then also Josh Allen can run the ball, so it doesn't matter. You, they'll go back to the four wide receivers. Go ahead and stop us. Yep. That's it. I, thank you, man. I really appreciate for you. I appreciate on. it. This, this was a lot of fun. Thanks. It, it really was. I, I, I'm so happy you came on. This is such a great show. What, go ahead. Shout out anything, everything, the porn stars you like. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, folks. <laughs> this, this isn't a family show, but in case you've got family who might tune in, uh, don't shout out the porn stars yeah. you like. But anything, anything you want. You could shout out any podcast, yeah. anything you do. 
If you, yeah, 585 report, we drop every Saturday. Uh, BuffaloFanatics.com uh, on YouTube. We, we have live shows Monday through Friday with different, I'm not on them, but we have great live shows. <laughs> That sometimes I'm on Good them, but job, I though. Yeah, I'm not on them. They don't let me on, but clearly you <laughs> they, should be on, sir. I they, think you should absolutely they, be on those shows. They, they sometimes start putting you in. Not. I'm going to be your agent and be like, yo, get this guy on some shows. But we have great, great live shows during the week. So Buffalo Fanatics, check them out. Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, everywhere. Um, yeah, I appreciate you having me on, man. It was a lot of fun. I always love talking football. I feel like Browns and Bills fans are kind of, you know, we, we share a lake, and I think we share similar – it similar uh, history and you know I, I always made the joke you know it's we're the we're the kids in middle school that got made fun of and now we're we're, we're taking over we're taking over the world we're the ceos of the world now so it's that glam up thing it's like this is what they were in high school now they're like it's all it is man it's, we we got bigger you guys got out we all look we got good offensive lines good pass catchers we're walking in we got good defensive players maybe we don't know they got to <laughs> develop but still, we're walking in, you know what? Showing up in the play- AFC Championship this year. We show up, both teams. Let's do it. We're going to walk in. We're going to kick some booty. And No, but I, I will say this. I was rooting for you guys to make it in the playoffs the year, that first year you got into the playoffs. I was watching that Andy Dalton Ravens game, and I was like every Bills fan out there doing the same thing. And I'm like, Andy, do it, Andy. You can do it. And he did it. After having a weird bad season, he still beat the Ravens, kicked them out of the playoffs, got you guys in. Thank That's you for wild. coming on, my friend. This was absolutely, yes. Thank you so much. I one appreciate of my it. favorite interviews I've had so far. You guys, you can follow the podcast at Draftvice on Twitter at Draftvice underscore football on Instagram. You can follow me at brojo. Death is in the end of life, and punch like that delicious drink you drink in the summer. Go follow everything this guy does. This was such a fun thing. If you like the Bills, if you don't like the Bills, still go follow him. Like, he's still a guy. He's still good. He clearly had a fun time on here. And, dude, thanks again for coming on. Of course. When I woke up this morning, I was feeling pretty dangerous. I'm about the past. I'm about the people. 